All right, good morning. morning. Sorry, dryness. My wife's going to tell me, make sure you're hydrated. (laughs) So, (laughs) thank you for not realizing you were so willing to listen to somebody else today. But uh, Pastor James is under the weather. Uh, he's, he's saving us by keeping whatever he's got at home. Um, as, as we find ourselves you know, kind of in the midst of the holiday season, there's, you, you might think that we'd be hearing a holiday message, and we are, sort of. It's um, you know, with, with office parties, visiting family. You know, this time of year, we end up having some unique opportunities for conversation. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What is our response um, as, as Christians? What should we be doing, listening for, helping other people to see what we know in the truth and of who Christ is to us? And what should our response be? So uh, we're going to be... Um, uh, we're going to be jumping right in the middle of Paul's exhortation to the Colossians in chapter 2. It's... Oh, it's wonderful. It's cults. It's deception. It's, it's uh, you know, corruption. It's a Christmas message. So, uh, why don't I, let's, let me uh, go ahead and pray for the Word, pray for Pastor James, and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're grateful to gather and worship in your name. In a place where you've, you've led us, Lord, this, this beautiful building, for your glory and for the working of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, for Pastor James, who's, who's ill, remaining home this Sunday, and for his family and the health and healing. Lord, for many households, Lord, who are battling similar conditions at this time and unable to join us today, we pray for their recovery and look forward to future fellowship, Lord. And for the sake of the body, I pray uh, for James's return next week and, and our return to the study in the Word of uh, Romans. And for today, Lord, I pray for a fresh filling of your spirit, for fertile hearts, Lord, open ears, for your word to be spoken in in its perfection. I pray, Lord, for your peace and wisdom to show myself approved to you, rightly dividing the word of truth. I pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, So, Colossians 2. I don't have slides, so we're going to work out our fingers today. I'll be jumping around a little bit. If, I, if, if you didn't get my notes on tabbing your Bible for this message, don't worry, I'll read them for you. <laughs> in, in true Pauline fashion, uh, Paul's epistle to, to uh, the Colossians is divided into two sections. You can pretty much do this with every one of his epistles, where the first part is doctrine, what we believe, what we should believe, what we know. And then there's application, how we should live it out. But what's unique about the book of the Colossians is it's a very clear theme about truth. In the first chapter, he tells us that the truth of Christ, his divinity, um, his, about his death, about the demand on us in response to what he's done for us. In chapter 2, uh, we're going to learn all about cults and how the world and the flesh battle against uh, His work and the Holy Spirit in our lives. And 3 and 4 is our response, the truth about the Christian. Uh, 
don't think I could do justice if I tried to cover the whole book today. So we're going to focus on chapter two, given the fact that we're going to be having opportunities for conversation. Uh, I'm doing this mostly for me, because I know that um, I often either miss the opportunity or I, no, Lord, you know, there's somebody else that could do that better than me. Um, I'm blessed, we're all blessed, to be in a church that is so deep in faithful men, pastors of their homes. Um, I pray daily to, to strengthen that ability in me, and I beg for your forgiveness today. Uh, so before we get into the word, um, actually before we get into Colossians 2, I want to prepare ourselves for the... Um, just for uh, through three verses, kind of preparing ourselves for the, the teaching of, of uh, about truth in Colossians 2. The first one's in 2 Timothy 4. If you want to turn there and, and race me through it, you're, you're welcome to. It's just uh, the first few verses. I charge you, therefore, before God in the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful on these things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry." That, uh, that phrase about turning their ears away from the truth and to be turned aside, the word that's used there for turned aside speaks of wrenching a limb out of position, out of proper position. Each of us, being a body of Christ, being a member of the body of Christ, have our place, have our purpose. We're placed here, in this body here, in your, uh, in your places at work, to fulfill our, our calling. Um, the second one is Ephesians 5, uh, starting in verse 8. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Find out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Rather, expose them. And that's really what Colossians 2 helps us to do, to recognize and expose the, the dark works. So we are to walk in light and expose the darkness. And the third, before we begin uh, in earnest here in, in Colossians 2, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in 19. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good and abstain from every form of evil. Test all things, um, including what said from, from the pulpit. With me, James, anyone who's here teaching the word, be Berean. <coughs> Prove for yourselves that what is, is said is true. So that brings us to today's teaching. So Colossians 2 itself is divided into two sections. The first seven verses talks about what we are to experience, what we are to experience in 
the blessing that we have through Jesus Christ. And the, the remainder of the chapter is about what we are to expose. The wickedness that we see in the world. Um, <laughs> so much of the turning away, so much of the heaping up false teachers. This is a Christmas message, right? Um, so in, in, let me begin with just verse 1. For I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many have not seen my face in the flesh. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, a church he's never been to. He didn't start. Uh, he's working in Ephesus, where uh, there was a, a gentleman there named Epaphras, who was so inspired by the teachings he learned from Paul that he went back home and planted a church. And it's been Epaphras that's been leading these Colossian believers. Um, Laodicea is geographically just a mile away. They're kind of sister cities, and the church there as well. Uh, the, um, many of the epistles were written to a church, but they were intended to be shared. In fact, even in chapter 4 of, of Colossians, uh, Paul explicitly says, share this letter with the, with the Laodiceans. The, the word in, in th this verse, in the word conflict, great conflict, some of your Bibles may say, um, ooh, what's the other word that you say? Anybody else have a different word than conflict in verse 1? Struggle, sure. The, the word in the Greek is agon, and this is where we get agony, agonize. Uh, anytime Paul heard of a new believer, whether he knew them or not, his prayer list got longer. He prayed fervently for anyone that he knew who was struggling in the faith. We all struggle in the faith. Paul himself even admits to that. So this is, he is genuinely agonizing, not only for the Colossians, but also for Laodicea. So let's do verse 2 through 3. So for those who have not seen, my, seen me in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, be knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full, full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is encouraging the Colossians, letting them know that there is, there has been, and I'll qualify why it has been, this mystery about the church that is now exposed, can be understood. And we don't have to go far to see how this mystery is explained to us and even why it is for us. If you just, just um, <laughs> you don't even have to turn left, I don't think. Right at the end of chapter 1 in Colossians, verse 26, the mystery which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints, to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory and the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. We have, and you've heard, it, you've heard it taught, you've heard it sung, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives in us. This is the mystery. Uh, we're going to talk about Gnostics about, uh, in the next section of, the, of this um, book, about those who are saying that, uh, you know, that, 
God can't be known. We can only know what is here. But what we're, and, and there was this mystery of God, but the mystery has been revealed, revealed to his saints. Well, saints is another word that causes some confusion. Saints, other churches may say, are a select few. Um, some Roman-based churches whose name will not be spoken. Uh, well, well uh, they will agree with the definition that they are the holy ones. In fact, you look up saints and you'll re usually see holy ones. So who are these saints? How do we know that this mystery, that we're qualified to be um, uh, <clears throat> the embodiment of this mystery? Well, there too, we don't have to go far. If you just go to the beginning of Colossians 1, verse 1 and 2, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Now, in English, we can read that saints and faithful brethren as two different classes. There are those who are holy ones, and then there's the rest of us. In the Greek construction, that and is inclusive. That and brings these two together. It's not another item in a list. It's combined. So the faithful brethren at Colossae, the faithful brethren in the church, um, how do you make brethren feminine? I don't know. <laughs> Womenren. Um, sisterin. Are saints. The moment we are, that we surrender ourselves to, to Jesus Christ, the moment we ask him into our lives, we get that indwelling in, in of the Holy Spirit. That is Christ's power in us. And the question isn't how much of the Holy Spirit do you have, it's how much of you do you allow the Holy Spirit to, to own, to take over, to bless. So this entire mystery of God and Christ in us is what is now revealed through us. And that's what gives us the, the strength, the power, the ability, the discernment, if we allow the Holy Spirit to give it, to identify those little worms that try to work into our church, into our lives, into our families, and to help to expose in conversation misunderstandings, false teachings. And that's where we're going to go today. Um, it is, it's kind of interesting how we, we have this great treasure in our broken vessels. And I'm guilty as well of, of praying for more, Lord. Give me more of your spirit. It's all or nothing. He doesn't pay earnest money on a purchase. He pays 100% down. He gives all of himself to us. Um, it reminds me of, um, there was a Roman senator a long time ago. Good man. Uh, his, he had a son, a, a prodigal son, wayward son. Didn't want anything to do with his politics. Didn't want anything to do with, with uh, uh, what his father stood for and the good work that he was trying to do. And as the senator was, was uh, nearing his death, he called to have his will adjusted. His son had kind of lost his respect. His son had wanted nothing throughout his life of what was his father's. So he felt that it was more appropriate for him to leave everything 
to his servant, a, 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 a loyal servant named Marsalis. This is a true story. Uh, so the will, will was adjusted. Um, he, he said one, one last clause. He said, I can't completely cut out my son. I do love him. So uh, let's allow that my son can choose any one thing of mine. So the, the senator passed away. Um, his household was assembled. And the, the will was read. And that all of his goods and treasures were given to Marsalis. And that the son was able to choose one item. And the son said, I'll choose Marsalis. Because in him, he had all the riches of his father. I, I know it's a kind of a funny, it's a weird story, but it's, it's an illustration of what we have just in taking, accepting the gift, the wholeness of the gift that is already in us. We don't have to search for it. The Lord places it in us. So let's go to four and five. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. For though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. The, the, um, the word deceive here is an interesting word. It's, it's paralogizomai. Para, parallel, um, the, the helper that Jesus, when he, when he told the disciples that I must go away, but I will send a helper, that word there is paraclete, a, per, a helper that comes alongside you. Um, parallel, uh, not in my notes, guys. This must be the, uh, it's going to help on a geometry quiz this, this week, possibly. Parallel lines, you know, two points to find a line. It doesn't matter how close you get those lines together, they're not going to end up at the same point. So any word, any teaching, any other doctrine that is not on the narrow path is leading you to another destination. So being deceived by persuasive words, uh, teaching something close beside what you believe, incorporating a little bit of truth to make it tempting, to tickle your ear, it's diverging from the destination that the Holy Spirit has for us, that the, the, the Lord sacrificed his son for, the deposit, the payment that he's placed inside each of us. Um, that paralogism I means to, to cheat by false reasoning, to reckon wrong or to circumvent, to go around what is the truth. Six and seven. As you therefore have received, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Let's start from, from beginning on that one. As you therefore have received. This isn't just a statement of a truism. It's easy to read it that way in English. You have received. What's meant here is the way in which you've received. We've heard the gospel. There is no work necessary in our part other than believing, accepting, receiving. It's, it's a miracle, but it's simple. So the way that we've received is in simplicity. 
we, we try to make it complicated. We try to require of ourselves that we are so much more devout, so much more holy. These are great things to pursue, to aspire, but it's not a requirement. The way that we've received, in the simplicity of the gospel, walk in that. Share it. The word walk it has to do with um, how you make one's way. That's the Greek translation. The Hebrew word for the same thing is to regulate one's life. Live this way. In the simplicity of the gospel. Um, think of in terms of, of um, counterfeit money. I know the dollar doesn't worth, isn't worth as much as it used to be, but it's still a dollar. But there is counterfeit. And those, those uh, treasury agents, when they're learning how to spot counterfeit currency, they're not given stacks of examples of false dollars. They study the real thing. They, they study the authentic dollar so that they can recognize when something's not right. It's that simple. Keep our eyes on the Word. Keep our eyes on the Lord. So that when someone tries to share with us something that's close by, alongside, but not true, that you, can, you recognize it. <laughs> regardless of, of, of what you haven't done in your walk, regardless of the denomination that you follow, how well you're taught or studied or full of faith or troubled, without exception, you have received Jesus as your Lord. It's that simple. Walk in that. So let's, um, we're going to move into, that's the end of the first section where we talk about what we are to experience. This filling of Jesus Christ, this confidence that we have to know that we have the full payment of his Holy Spirit, strength and power in us so that we can don that armor, step out in faith. <laughs> I'm preaching to myself, guys, because uh, it sounds wonderful. I believe it 100%. Is my walk as powerful as the words that I'm speaking? These are his words, not my own. Um, the next section, we're going to talk about cults. Different ways of man to corrupt uh, direction, to corrupt our, our, our understanding, to draw us away. Walking in the foundation of Christ, Paul warns the Colossians about cultic teaching. He uses the vocabulary of the heretics themselves, but defines the, redefines the words in the proper way. Uh, I'll try to pick out a few of the words as we go along, but this is what we're listening for. Uh, words like perfect, mystery, wisdom and knowledge, basic principles of the world, and head. These words were used and redefined at the, at the time then, even today, to deceive you into a new knowledge, into... There's a deeper meaning to that. It's not that simple. So what the rest of this chapter is, is Paul basically exposing these 
lines of thought, these groups, these Judaizers who are coming in trying to dissuade you from the simplicity of the gospel and your salvation in Jesus Christ. So let's read 8 through 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. He's, he's warning us, beware. You have this full payment in your bodies, in your hearts, your connection between your spirit and the Lord's. But beware, lest anyone cheat you through, through philosophy, through reasoning, through man's um, perceptions or interpretations of, of the ethereal or even reality. <laughs> the word cheat here is, is a word that can be translated as spoil. This is um, more of a war term. When you go to war and you defeat your enemy, you bring home the spoils of war. That you rob their riches. And that's what man tries to do with philosophy, is reason with you to say, it can't be like that. This is more realistic. What are you thinking? This is, uh, they're, they're trying to rob you of that certainty that you have in the Lord. Paul is warning us to <laughs> hold fast to what we know is true. There is no other truth. That line only points to the Lord. Any line, any other line doesn't point to the Lord, so it cannot be true. So that he's describing this philosophy of empty deceit according to the tradition of men, not the tradition of the Lord, not the intention of the Lord, not the plan and purposes of the Lord. They'll ask you, you'll know that you're in a room where divergence is happening. If you find yourself in a church or in a, in a small group where you're discussing the word and you, you hear you know, this is what this word means to me. What does it mean to you? What is your opinion of what this means? How would you color this today? <laughs> you've, you've, you've heard James teach it well. You've heard probably other pastors and, and as well and listening to or explaining that if you want to have an understanding of what this passage means, let the Bible define the Bible. Let the word define the word. It's not our opinion of what it means. It's not our application. It is an application supported, should be, an application supported by the word. I remember um, there's a movie uh, called Josh Dugan Returns. It's a while back. Many, some of you may have seen it. Many of you probably never heard of it. Um, Matthew Broderick is a, is a high schooler. He's a senior. And he's been raised by a single mom because his father... Actually, we don't know what happened to his father, but he's not in the picture. All of a sudden, his, um, his grandfather I mean, comes from out of nowhere. Mom recognizes him. That's definitely her dad. He's been in jail. Mom doesn't talk about him much. 
he, um, he was a con man, found guilty, but the money that he, was able, that he swindled, let's say, was never found. And suddenly, things just start happening. The house gets remodeled. Her car is towed out of the parking lot and replaced with a Mercedes. Um, um, his grandfather hires the Dodgers batting coach to help his grandson with his swing. So there's a, there's a moment in the movie where there's, a, there's a, a, a scene between Jason Robards and Matthew Broderick. Jason Robards playing the grandfather. It's the closest that, that Matthew Broderick ever gets to a father-son moment. And he's being asked about what his plans are for life. What does he want to do? And he's, he's uncertain. He hasn't had guidance all his life. And Jason Robart said, have you considered philosophy? And Matthew Broderick said, is there money in philosophy? And Robart said, it depends if you have the right one. Our riches are not here. There is nothing wrong with monetary gain. But it's the love of money, the pursuit of that, the desire for that, making that your idol that draws us away. But the, the pursuit of a philosophy in the context of this movie, in a way of cheating others out of what they have, spoiling them of their riches. <laughs> I know that James is now going to bar me from the door because I'm using uh, Jason Robards as a theologian. Um, another, another form of philosophy that might lead you away, um, syncretism. This is the universal Unitarianism type of view that we are all one um, the universe is one. We can even stretch that to be we are God. Uh, you know, so it's a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. What does this life mean? What is the, where's the hitchhiker's guide? Um, the meaning of life, the universe, and everything, right? Anybody remember that? No, just a few nerds. Hey, we got him. I'm a proud geek. Um, another one is Hellenistic syncretism. This is regulating religious activity based upon the movement of the stars. Astrology. What's happening? How should we live our lives? Now, there is some real application of this uh, through the movement of the heavens. The Lord said that they're for signs and wonders. We know when to plant, when to harvest, before we had clocks and non farmer's almanac. There was the stars and the movement of the moon. But if we start building doctrine upon the movement of the stars uh, in a way that, again, does not glorify and remain true with the Lord, uh, there, there is a study of the zodiac, the, the constellations of the zodiac, how you can trace the gospel through the constellations in, with the right interpretation. But I think that's a, it, it's a really interesting study, but uh, outside of what we're doing today. So if we have this incredible treasure that's already given to us, that's embodied in us, given freely, just for the asking, why do we search for more? Why do we search elsewhere for fulfillment instead of looking internally at the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, seeking to gather together and encourage one another, praying and connecting, fellowshipping with the Lord? We have everything that we need. We just don't know it. Yeah. 
For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. I have, there aren't many highlighted verses in my Bible. One is because I'm OCD about that, and you highlight it, and it bleeds through the other side of the page. But verse 9 is one of those that I have highlighted. It, it should blow everybody away. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him, all the fullness. John told us that in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God, was with God. All things were created by him and for him. We know later in, I think, verse 14, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, tabled, tabernacled among us. All of the glory, power, deity of the Godhead embodied in Jesus as he walked here on earth. And he did so for us so he can reconcile us to himself. If that's not amazing enough, it's the next section of verse 10. And you are complete in him. Complete. There's, um, there is a letter between Plato and Aristotle. Aristotle was his protege. Uh, the, the, um, I, I may not have the exact words right, but basically Plato is admitting, there was obviously a debate going on between them, but Plato asserts that it is possible for deity to forgive sin, but I cannot conceive how. Man <laughs> is standing on the side of, of the ocean of God's wisdom, dips their cup in and thinks, this is much. This is all that I can understand. The rest of this is way beyond me. I honor those who dig deep into the word, contemplate what it means. I encourage each of you to take words, look into, for me, what made a difference for me in terms of how much connection I have to what this means is playing with, with uh, apps like Blue Letter Bible. If you're not familiar with that, find me afterwards and I'll share it with you. You can um, dig into a verse. It'll show you the Greek words. It'll explain to you what they mean so that you understand, for instance, in, in uh, verse 1, that that and, in verse 1 of, of uh, chapter 1, that and is inclusive, constructive not dividing, creating a list. It's saying these two are related, saints and faithful brethren. At nowhere, while I'm, I'm <laughs> downplaying education, I don't mean to, nowhere in the Bible does it pro prohibit the pursuit of knowledge. In fact, there are verses that tell us exactly to, to pursue this. Proverbs 15, 14 speaks of the discerning heart seeks knowledge. Um, Proverbs 4, 5, get wisdom, get understanding. And in my, my Bible, those are two sentences with exclamation points. Uh, James 1, 5 says, if, if you lack, if anyone or if you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. The Lord wants us to explore, gain knowledge, grow, but do that in him. 
Not be deceived or drawn away or, or uh, <laughs> deceived by the works of the world, by the ways of the world. All right, the next section's a little bit longer. We're going to take it in pieces, starting in verse 11. So we're moving from philosophy into legalism. We've heard messages about legalism, warning us about legalism. Um, my wife and I have had some vigorous fellowship about legalistic activities. <laughs> but it has more to do with, unfortunately, it really seems for me, this is, I'm speaking to myself, that it, there are things which I'm not comfortable doing and I don't like being pushed into them. Even though I know that it's where the Lord would like me to go. I'm comfortable. <laughs> so legalism, let's, let's read this section, just uh, verse 11 and 13. In him you are also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, but by putting off the body of sin, of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the work of God who raised him from the dead. There was a, the Colossians were already facing uh, Judaizers who were coming into their church, coming into their fellowship and saying, that, now these are Jews who are Christian, they follow Jesus, but uh, they don't agree with that, that council that was held back in Jerusalem that uh, we should just, that we should not re require these new Christians, these, these Gentiles, if they want to follow the Lord as their Savior, Jesus, then they must first become Jewish. They must first be circumcised. They must still uphold the law of Moses. Bear with me for a moment. I lost my point. This circumcision, you know, the, 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 the practice of circumcision among the Jews was a removal of a small piece of flesh. The, uh, it was an outward symbol of what's happening internally. God told Samuel, hopefully I got that right, that man looks upon the outside, but the Lord looks at the, at the heart. And this circumcision calls, speaks of a circumcision of the heart, not made by ourselves, but by the Lord. We have no part of this. I mean, the work is not done by us. Our work was saying, yes, Lord. Come into my life, Lord. Lead me, Lord. Be my savior. That circumcision made without hands by putting off of the body of uh, the body of sin that's what's being cut away and then baptism <laughs> here we're, we're we're very familiar with altar calls um, where we invite new believers or, or those who recognize the condition of their life to come forward to accept the Lord as their Savior to pray a prayer there's nothing magic about the altar call in fact we didn't have them until about the 1600s Prior to that, and in this day, in Colossa, the, if the, that outward profession that you have surrendered your life to God, to Jesus, 
was baptism. It was not a, a ritual cleansing, which was practiced in Judaism. This was a death and resurrection statement that you're making. I'm dying to myself, and I'm rising together with the Lord to live in him, because he indwells me. That was the, the power, that was the demonstration that was happening then. And tying both, what Paul is doing is tying both that outward example, that public profession that we're making, with an inward change that's happening, not of our own works. Let's go to the next, uh, next couple of verses here, starting in 13. And you, being dead in your trespass and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you of all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of the requirements that was against us, which, is, which was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. There's a lot of pieces in here. We can unpack a lot. Um, the wiping out the handwriting. If you were found guilty and sent to prison at this time, uh, you remember the, the story when, when Paul was imprisoned and the, there was, you know, they, were, they were worshiping in the prison and there was an earthquake and all the doors sprung open and the jailer, seeing that, before he even checked inside to see what had happened, he assumed everybody had run out and he was going to kill himself. Well, the reason he was killing himself is because there was a sentence that was owed society, a payment that had to be made. And his responsibility was to ensure that those people in his charge paid their debt. But the debt had to be paid. If someone escaped, he was responsible for that debt. Um, the, the way that that debt was documented, at least the way that I've, I've seen it taught, I haven't done this research myself, but I, I, I kind of trust the sources. The, um, there was an IOU, essentially, written in your own hand when you are in-processed into prison that said, I'm here for three years for this reason. And um, that was kept on account. You've written an IOU, a handwriting, that, was, uh, that you were responsible to pay, the debt that you had to pay. So your wrongdoing, you're responsible to pay for. Sin, in this case, is our wrongdoing. It's written in our own hand. We did it. It's Jesus who's paying the price. He's paying our, uh, what we should be paying. It was all laid upon him by the Father on that cross, nailed to the cross. Our sins and his love kept him up there. This is, the, this is the part of the Godhead that through him all things were created and subsist, another verse says. It's through his power that he held the nails together as they went through his hands and his feet. It was through his love that, that the cross supported him until his death. Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm getting a wave because I know we're going to have communion to go. All right. Let me touch on these other areas. We have uh, two other groups here. Mysticism and asceticism. 
the part of mysticism, this is uh, starting in verse 18. We'll do this quickly. Let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, intruding on thing, those things which he has not seen. These are people that will be, oh, I am so holy. They get that quaver in their voice. I have seen things, brother. Um, you don't have to search far online to find a few. It's difficult, getting more and more difficult to recognize someone who is truly prophesying and others who are building an audience. Uh, be careful in these areas. The, the cheat you again is here, another uh, beguile, another word that says deprive you of salvation. The last one, asceticism, the section starting in, in uh, verse 20, this is where we're, uh, there were practices of thrashing yourself, punishing your flesh, depriving yourself and thinking, look how holy I am. This is a worship of our own will and our own works and not that which the Lord has done in us. What I'm, what I'm sharing with you today and I'm asking and hoping, praying, Lord, that, that you will take these into your conversations as you're listening to others talk to you, as, as the water cooler conversation changes to the reason for the season, that you listen for the, 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 the thought processes, the opportunities, the openings for conversation to help people to escape, to find a way out of the traps that they are in today and share with them that which the Lord has put in you. Uh, we are going to do communion today. Let me pray for the ending of the message. I'm going to ask um, Brother Rex, I believe, is going to be coming up to lead us through communion. Lord, we know you've, we've, you've heard these things, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for your word and for your instruction and through the words of Paul that ring true and even more so, it seems, today. Lord, as we gather together in your name to take up of, of your communion, Lord, I thank you for a church in which we are so deep in the strength of the brotherhood. We're so deep, Lord, in the love and the filling of your spirit that there are those that can come alongside of James when he is feeling under the weather. <laughs> we joke, Lord, of, a, of a, a, a V of geese as I fly through and... <laughs> squawking at the one in the lead to keep them in line. I'm grateful, Lord, that we have uh, brothers that do so, that stand up and say, here I am, Lord, use me. Be with Brother Rex as he leads us in, in communion. Be in each of our hearts, Lord. We love you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name.